Hi guys and welcome back to the Female Fitness Podcast. I'm your host Danny, and today I have the pleasure of being joined by Becca who is a disordered eating nutritionist and coach. She's also a counsellor and psychotherapy student as well and today we're going to talk about binge eating and where to start when it comes to tackling binge eating. But first of all Becca, how did you originally sort of get into the fitness industry? So hi everyone and thanks so much for having me Danny. Um, and thanks for that little introduction. So how did I get into the fitness industry? So I suppose I have a similar enough story in that when I was growing up I would have been overweight um, as a child, as a teenager and I got into fitness and I loved it. It was one of those like it's changed my life's life moments like weight training has changed so many people's lives but it really really had a positive impact. I was finally able to like eat to feel performance and not be so terrified of food all the time um but like so many others I got I went a little bit too extreme with dieting I started doing like fitness photo shoots um and I suppose it highlighted a lot of uh issues within my relationship with food that I hadn't resolved from I was younger so I ended up like losing my period and having just a really horrible relationship with food I wanted to compete um, again, like so many others transitioned from photo shoots into competing. But at that point, I was like, OK, I have no period. I'm obsessed with food. I can't stop thinking about it. This is not the right path for me. So I let that go after a lot of resistance. And that's when my own healing journey started. And um, I started my own business after studying my nutrition course and that. So, yeah, got here from my own experience, but also just I love I love of coaching as well. Um, so I'm on the ETPHD team, which is um, directed by Amelia Thompson, obviously, and I um, specialize in helping women get their periods back. And I more recently went down the counseling psychotherapy route. So now myself and the dietitian on this team, we work with people with eating disorders, which is really exciting. So um, binge eating is obviously what we'll be discussing today. So That's I'm excited. Cool. There. Out of interest, Becky, you know, when it came to you sort of making the decision not to go down the competing route, yeah. did you make that yourself or did you have to have someone tell you like this is not for you? Um, ultimately, I had to make it myself. Like, I think when you're in that position, you can be given all the advice in the world. But you need to want to make that decision yourself if that makes sense yes I certainly had people saying you know you need to take a break you need to you know go into a gaining phase or just stop dieting for a while and I resisted that for so long it was me who had to be like okay this doesn't align with my values anymore I can't do this to myself so a bit of both bit of both um yeah yeah, it just takes time to actually take on advice doesn't it a hundred percent. And when it came to you actually working to improve your own relationship with food, how did you get started on that? Did you do that mostly like on your own or did you work with a coach? I did a lot of it on my own. I think the biggest part for me was actually truly like feeling like I was aligned to my values. So for a long time, my values were just how I looked, how lean I was how many likes I got on social media or how much engagement I got, you know, that's type of stuff. And it overshadows all the other stuff. When I realized I was isolated from my friends, I couldn't enjoy social meals with my family. I wasn't sitting down at a table with people and connecting. Um, like I didn't want to go on holidays and stuff because it interrupted my routine. Then that's when I really thought, okay, this isn't working for me. Yeah. Um, 
so yeah, got to the point on my own, but then had some support as well along the way, um, which I think is really important. Definitely. It doesn't just get solved overnight. It comes back. Yeah, I think it's a really difficult sort of journey to navigate completely on your own and you usually yeah. need some kind of support. Otherwise, it you know, it is likely to take a lot longer to actually recover and you might not even get there in the first place. Mm-hmm. So to give people a bit of like a, a better idea, what actually is binge eating and how does it differ from overeating? Yeah, so this is a really good question because they often get mixed up basically so binge eating and overeating are different then they're not the same so binge eating is associated with like a loss of control and it's usually done rapidly overeating then is yes it's still eating beyond fullness but there's usually more um, awareness around that so it might be that you're sitting down with a delicious meal you recognize it's delicious and you want to keep eating it whereas binge eating is you don't actively decide okay I'm going to just smash this packet of biscuits um, it can very often be done on autopilot and there's a lot of guilt and shame around it oftentimes it's done in secret um or you know a very common one is when you're left at home alone or people leave the house for example so more shame associated definitely with overeating although they can overlap a lot of the time um but there is like certain diagnostic criteria which if anyone is wondering you'll find on the dsm-5 if you just type that into google um you will see the binge eating criteria and the frequency of which it happens kind of determines if it's a binge eating disorder or if you're kind of on the way there or if it's just emotional eating so there's differences but a lot of the time they do overlap so it can be a little confusing yeah and why is it actually important to distinguish the difference between binge eating and overeating Mm. The, the the thing that's coming to mind for me the most is it's n- not a willpower issue. So if somebody thinks that their binge eating is a willpower issue, they're going to look in all the wrong places for the right answer or support for it. So they might look for, you know, a coach that's going to give them exact calories to stick to or a meal plan to follow rigidly. So it's really important because it's not a choice and it's not a willpower issue and it's not something that you decide to do so you can't overcome with them by being more disciplined or strict on yourself or trying harder and that really is like adding fuel to a blazing fire it can make things so much worse because already there's a lot of guilt and shame right so I know I had a call with someone just yesterday who said to me you know up until this point I thought I was just greedy. I thought I just couldn't not eat everything. Um, And she'd been carrying that for her whole life. And so can you imagine then going and being told like, oh, you just don't want this enough or you need to try harder, like cop on kind of thing. So yeah, it is. And it's important for not only the person suffering, but also people who come into contact like ourselves um, to be aware of this. I also think on the flip side of that as well, if someone is just overeating and they perceive that to be, if they tell themselves, oh, I'm binging, but in reality, they're just, you know, sat in front of the TV with their family and they've had too many chocolates and they've made a conscious decision to that, to do that. If they believe that, if they tell themselves that they're binging and they identify with that, they can almost feel a little bit stuck because of they've they've like pathologized it whereas in reality it's it's probably less of an issue than they actually think it is and that can be a problem as well 
Yeah, I agree. Yeah, totally. Because that can keep someone stuck as well. Like yeah. putting the label on as, oh, I binge eat, I have no control. I'm just this person. Um, when in actual fact, it might not be that. Um, or it might be, yes, you're having binge eating tendencies, but you're not actually at a point where you can't overcome it. Yeah. There's a lot of like labels attached and core beliefs when you struggle with food it's like oh I'm just this person I'll always be this person type thing um so the stories we tell ourselves is so important like you just mentioned it's it can be almost the opposite effect yeah it's sometimes like taking the power back and realizing you know if someone is for example overeating it is very much most of the time a conscious decision and if they realize that then it can be easier to tackle as opposed to them thinking oh like I'm stuck it's just something that you know that I do every Mm -hmm. single day yeah and like it can become habitual as well so it can almost become like you know when you drive somewhere and you can't remember the journey um it can almost become like your habit so let's say this is a really common one where people will binge when they get home from work and like yes it may have started because your stress levels were through the roof and you had no way of regulating yourself but it can become then the habit of what you do so when I get home I go to the cupboard and I binge you know so that aspect of it is is important to remember too that it's not always like what it started with it can manifest then into just your habits um which obviously is still a difficult one to overcome yeah and when what is the difference between someone having a binge say on like a one-off occasion to someone actually having a clinical binge eating disorder yeah so like I mentioned the symptoms above of like the secret eating the loss of control the guilt and shame um you know you have to I suppose take a couple of boxes like any other mental health um, diagnosis you have to have the certain criteria the frequency I would say is the big thing then so you have to have at least two days a week for six months or at least one day a week for three months to quote-unquote qualify for a binge eating disorder um, I think yeah it's important to recognize the like criteria for the actual disorder but it's also not to underestimate if you don't take all those boxes it doesn't mean that you're not struggling you know in the same way so not to undermine it um if you don't yeah you, know, like you can still benefit from help if you think you're struggling don't be afraid to seek help don't just put it off because you're not taking the diagnostic criteria for example okay. yeah exactly um like we know disordered eating is a spectrum anyway so uh, one side of the spectrum is your healthy relationship with food in the middle is like a disordered relationship and then you have full-blown eating disorders and often a disordered eating you know can lead to an eating disorder so don't wait until you're you're quote and go bad enough which we see so often don't we it's like you know I wasn't struggling enough to seek support yeah um, and usually if people do wait until that point as well it's so much harder to then get back to having a good relationship with food whereas if they nip it in the bud when they notice that there's some disordered eating traits kicking in, it's so much easier to address. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I saw um your post on Instagram as well about the four stages of a binge and thought that was a really, really good post. What are they for anyone listening that's not seen that post? And why is it helpful to identify them? Okay. Well, thank you for that. The carousel posts are still alive and well, it seems. Yeah. Um, so the four stages of a binge. So we have like the tension build up, which is when you have that 
emotional brewing, we'll say. This what this stage is like, I would say the most important if you had to pick, because uh, you know, you get to a point where you're you're almost too frag on and that you're too dysregulated to think clearly, to think rationally, to use your coping skills. So during this tension build-up phase, it's really important to like become aware of how your body's feeling, how you're feeling. So being able to name your emotions, being able to see like how your breathing is, how your heart rate is, how your body feels. So at that point, you know, we really try to reckon, we try to bring awareness to like the overall, your overall state emotionally and physically. So journaling at that point um, for anyone is, is helpful. Then we have like the tension release when the buildup peaks and it's really when you're so dysregulated that it feels so unbearable. And that's when people will distract or try to numb out and avoid the difficult feeling or you know the difficult emotion like we're always told from such a young age like you know don't feel difficult emotions dry your eyes cop on be a big girl and so that we bring that into our adult life as well then it's like no there's no room for that difficult feeling dry your eyes numb it out so that's where the tension release comes from and it does I suppose work in the moment temporarily you do get the, the brain lighting up, the dopamine hit. Um, and when you're in that moment and you're eating, that's all you can think about. So it makes logical sense, but it doesn't solve anything long-term. Yeah. And actually it just ends up feeling, you know, the person ends up feeling worse. And that's where we come to the post binge, which is like where you have the binge hangover um, mentally and physically, you know, you might be in pain or you might be just emotionally worn out and I can't believe this has happened again. You know, why does this keep happening? And that really impacts self-worth then as well and self-belief. So you can see at this point, like it's a very vicious cycle. And then there comes the new beginning, which is, okay, this isn't going to happen anymore. I'm going to go back dieting again. I'm going to restrict harder again um, and cop on basically. So the harsh inner critic comes in, the self-compassion is nowhere to be seen. And it's just, this is your fault. You chose to do this and you're a bad person none of that is true but that's what the type of stuff we see people yeah. saying to themselves um so yeah like the restricting and the dieting comes again so we can see then it goes back up to the the urge to binge um so that's why intervening at some point ideally at the the build-up phase is is crucial yeah I think it's really helpful for people to identify why they're doing something and identify this process as you've just spoken through because it helps them understand why they're doing what they're doing and what's happening at each stage rather than them thinking oh my god like why am I binging what's what's wrong with me like what's happening um and like you said it helps them understand when it might be most effective to intervene as well yeah for sure for sure and like a lot of this is awareness because yeah I'll spend so much time on autopilot as it is now don't mind if you're someone who like let's say a big one for us um especially in the therapy space is people who have experienced some trauma in the past now it doesn't have to be this big you know we could say big t trauma and small t trauma like a big t trauma would be when you you know endured some emotional or physical or sexual abuse let's say and then the small t might be something that others might deem as small um it might be being left out in the playground or something but they all have an impact and a coping response to trauma that's unresolved is this dissociation um 
And binge eating goes hand in hand with that because often when people are binging, they're also dissociating. So they're not, they almost feel like they're having an outer body experience. So yeah, it's like, the awareness there of okay this is actually happening or this is something that's happening to me to work through that fully um is key and as well the other one that we see nearly all the time 99% of the time is this inability to regulate emotions so emotional dysregulation um which again involves a lot of um awareness how you're feeling physically and emotionally so yeah you're you're so right in that it's to be able to point I think it's so powerful as well to recognize for people that are struggling that disordered eating often happens when we are dysregulated because again it helps them identify okay like if I can become more regulated Mm -hmm. and address whatever the underlying cause is then that can be powerful in terms of making a change um what could you give an example of what someone being dysregulated might look like yeah so I suppose it might look differently to how it feels someone could actually appear like they're calm and then in the inside there's like chaos happening um it can present differently differently in everyone so it might feel like agitation for you it might feel like um a feeling of losing control for you it might feel like you're angry, stressed. So it will present differently for everyone. I suppose the bottom line is it's uncomfortable to feel dysregulated. A natural response is to want you want to get rid of it. Um, and that's where you might use food or scrolling on social media or body checking, something along those lines to just give you that temporarily relief or, or distraction. So yes. like if you're listening to this and you're not sure what your dysregulation looks like, get curious about it think the next time you feel some discomfort um or you have an, a pull to an impulse to like grab your phone or grab food just take a second to breathe and notice okay how am I feeling um how does my body feel so even if you put uh the wheel of emotions into google you'll get the wheel of emotions that comes up and you'll be able to see all the different emotions and where they stem from and it can be really helpful to pinpoint what you're actually feeling So like you might think, oh, I'm just stressed or I'm just bored. But actually, there could be something from your day where you felt something like rejection or you felt betrayed or you felt lonely. And obviously, the solutions to to those feelings are a lot different to just being bored or stressed. Um, So we'll do this a lot with clients where we get them to do like I statements and solution solutions to their common I suppose, trigger emotions. So it might be literally something as simple as when I'm lonely, I will call my best friend. I will, um, you know, make a plan to have coffee tomorrow with somebody. And something as simple as that, just having it concretely there can be really soothing. Um, So I can't remember the initial question. So I hope I... No, I think that was, that was great. I basically asked like what, what can dysregulation feel or look like in different people? And I think you explained that really well. Yeah, um, yeah. We, we bring in um, a lot more somatic stuff now as well to our coaching. So we're focused very much so on like how your body is feeling because our bodies actually recognize a trigger a lot of the time before our mind even does. So it's kind of like that concept of if you're walking across the street and a car comes, like you kind of dive 
you know, you try to step back or you run forward before you actually realize, okay, I'm going to be hit by a car. So our bodies react before our minds a lot of the time. So we've started bringing in like body scans, um, breath work, a lot of that into our coaching more so now, which is, you know, it's it's a game changer really. Yeah. You mentioned that taking a pause and getting curious. Are there any other tools or practices that you would commonly implement with clients who you find are a little bit dysregulated and that might be a cause of disordered eating? Yeah, so I suppose we have short term in the moment solutions as well as the longer term ones. So like obviously the likes of meditation and bright work and you know mindfulness and self-compassion in general are crucial. Um, but then we use like techniques for in the moment urges like surf the urge. You'll probably be aware of that um, and different like, again, bright work stuff that we can bring in or move our intentional movement um so there's a lot there and it's dependent on every every different person what will resonate um but an overall overall I would say mindfulness is such a huge one because it's all done on autopilot so it makes sense then that being more present and more intentional with with every different area of life and slowing down gosh slowing down is like it's so simple but it's so effective because when we're rushing like we have that fight or fight flight response and cortisol is high stress levels are through the roof and that's when usually people get to the point where they just want to reach because nobody likes feeling that stressed state so slowing down reminding yourself and your body that you're safe and that everything is actually going to be okay and even I say to clients like literally say slow down out loud even say it slowly slow down and they're like laughing at me and then they're like oh I tried that thing and then it worked so yeah that's a big one mindfulness yeah I think that's brilliant because I think in today's day and age everyone is always rushing around and everyone is also constantly stimulated and lives their lives like very non-intentionally so if we can encourage more intentional living and more intentional practices it's only going to have a positive effect in um like a simple and a simple example is when people are like bored or they want to seek a bit of a dopamine hit or stimulation they'll often go to social media and something that I've actually done over the past few weeks is I've deleted Instagram off of my home screen so when I go on it I have to actually type it in and it makes you be a little bit more intentional about okay what am I doing this for (laughs) for sure or like the timer where you set a timer on it and you do have to press ignore if you want to keep going it just creates like that that space to actually think about it um to bring you back okay is this actually what I want to do but yeah social media you brought it up and it, it is a it's a big one when it comes to this um because of like the impact external reason like the impact external things can have on either recovery or you know the advice that you don't need to hear type thing um so filtering your feed is such a huge one and like making sure that what you're exposing yourself to is actually helpful because it's when you're in that vulnerable vulnerable place you will seek out nearly the opposite of what you need isn't it it's like if someone's struggling with binge eating and they want to achieve body composition goals, they're going to go and like seek out quote unquote motivation or images of bodies to help with that or what they perceive will help with that. So I would say social media, it's not to like 
you don't you can't go on it or delete it but just be really mindful of what you consume and what advice you take on board yeah and I almost think if if someone is really struggling with the sort of their um use of social media and them not being very intentional with it it can sometimes have its place to remove it completely to then come back to it just to make them realize to be more intentional about living in the moment and all of that good stuff but also to just question like okay when I come back to this how am I going to if I've seen a positive effect from coming away from it when I come back to it how am I going to use that more intentionally so that it doesn't have a negative effect on me yeah yeah for sure yeah present dependent again but I don't think there's ever any harm taking a bit of a break for people what in terms of um, social media and obviously the fitness space on social media, do you think it's helpful for people who are struggling with their relationship with food to be exposing themselves to most fitness content on social media? And if not, why can it be unhelpful? Okay, so like most fit, see, it's, it's I always find this hard because my echo chamber, like you're on my social media yeah. and stuff, and it like I can see how if I was struggling like that would be helpful because you're literally getting such value and tips and stuff um but again like I was just saying when you're in that vulnerable place and you're not really that far along maybe even in knowing you have stuff to work through you can seek out the fifth birth and a lot of like bodies and you know that type of thing which isn't going to help you if you're really struggling with your body image in terms of like self-comparison expectations um also you'll see like what I eat in a day and things and if you're binging and if you're trying to follow someone who's eating in a deficit like that's not going to help so it's hard to give one answer but it's really dependent on you and if if even if you just even if one day you notice when you're scrolling that you're feeling triggered or you start comparing or thinking about what you ate or whatever like just mute and say okay I like that person maybe but I'll come back to it at a different time if it evokes any sort of difficult emotion in you then it's not serving you at that time um so yeah that's what I would say on that one and just to I suppose if something is coming across as extreme to ban something or to avoid something completely then that's also not going to align with binge eating recovery unless you have tolerance or something yeah Definitely. No, I like that advice. I think it's just about knowing yourself, being self-aware mm-hmm. and being intentional about using it in a positive way if you're going to use it. And also yeah. having the, you know, self-discipline to mute or unfollow any accounts that aren't helpful rather than just constantly exposing yourself to those things. Yeah, I think you're so right. It's like a discipline thing because you do get some sort of a kick out of it in terms of like, this is going to motivate me. This is what I want. Um and it often does the opposite of that. It's like it gives you that feeling of being restricted because let's face it, if you're trying to strive for someone else's body and you think that restricting is going to help you do that or get there, then it's it's going to spark all this again. Um, so yeah, intentional use for yeah, sure. A hundred percent. And people listening to this have probably seen most people have probably seen anyway, some coaches sort of advertising their services in regards to helping to improve food relationships, but then attaching it to an external end product in terms of body composition related progress. 
why can that sometimes be problematic? Um, oh, the obvious reason, I guess, is often the person isn't doesn't have the qualifications or doesn't have they might have personal experience, but they may not have like the skills to help someone. You know, like we can't as coaches, we can't work with people with eating disorders. Um, it's just dietitians and therapists. So that number one, we see a lot of that happening just to be really mindful of, is this actually appropriate? And a lot of the time it's not even bad intentioned. It's just that people are like, I got through this. As you know, it's like, if I can do it, I can show you how I did it type thing. Um, But there's so many different drivers and everyone's so different that just because your situation was one way doesn't mean the other person's is going to be the same. Um, Using the body to sell in is a slippery, slippery slope because with binge eating recovery, like fat loss can't be the priority. Definitely not at the beginning anyway, because it's all about, you know, reducing the binges in, in cooperating regular eating to satiety and things, which might be going against dieting strategies. So the goal at the beginning isn't to strive for a certain aesthetic. Now, we're not idiots. We know that everyone, most people, if they're at a larger body, um, and they're struggling with binge eating, they'll want to lose some weight and that's fine. And I think it's really important for me to just say here as well that binge eating disorder does not have a certain body type. I work with people who are both underweight in a normal healthy BMI range or in an overweight obese category as well. And, you know, they, they'll still have the same feelings, symptoms and stuff. So that's just one thing to note there. But yeah, it can be the the main and only focus and promising someone that they're going to look a certain way after they recover is just like it. Ju- it's just like overlooking so many different factors um, and it's just going around in circles, basically. Yeah. And it's at the end of the day, it's probably going to take away from their ability to progress from a relationship with food perspective if they're just focused on other areas, which yeah. are counterproductive at the end of the day and require very different um protocols exactly yeah and like at this point they've probably spent most of their life trying to look a certain way and achieve a certain body composition goal so why look for the same solution in the same place um when it hasn't worked out in the past um but it's an easy one to get sucked into like i've seen definitely seen you know people with ab shots saying i'm going to help you cure binge eating and can't you see exactly why someone who was in a really difficult place and felt like had a really poor body image and stuff would buy into that? Of course they would. It's like, what do you call it? I don't know, clickbait or... Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so something to be really mindful of. Check who you're working with and what they have to offer and what qualifications they have and their values, I suppose, as as a coach. Yeah. And it's obviously not to say that, you know, someone who is struggling with their relationship with food, that doesn't mean that they can never have body composition related goals ever again. But it's, it's like, okay, address what you need to address now. And if and when appropriate, you can come back to that. Yeah, yeah. So just to give people an idea, like if someone is binging regularly, we will start off by setting like a regular eating routine, and we create more structure. Oftentimes, we'll actually even give them like a meal plan template. That's a little bit we'll get into in a second as well um so the goal initially is to reduce the binges not even to get rid of them for some people is to reduce it and then as time goes on when they have more I suppose they feel more in control of their eating habits we will lessen that so 
they'll have less of a structure or a rigid structure and start like increasing their food variety and challenging their fear foods or their trigger foods um and then along those lines somewhere we we'll, we'll get intuitive eating it might be way down the line but it will come at some point and they'll you know be able to tune into their hunger and fullness again because that gets lost along the way because like hunger hormones ghrelin and things get dysregulated and when you have binge eating disorders they're often not accurate or in a in the right place um so it takes time to be able to be intuitive and it takes time to get to that place but yeah it's it's just a it's a bit of a process and you can't jump straight ahead to body composition goals um and it's like you said it's not to say that you can't ever have them you may be able to track again in the future if you wanted to um in a gentle way of course but it's just like not a blanket rule of no you can't ever want fat loss or you can't ever track I think those extremities are nearly more harmful than than anything you made a really good point there as well like the importance of being patient throughout this process it's not just a case of you know someone's not just going to come and work with you when they're struggling with binge eating and then in a week's time they're not going to be binging anymore and I think that's really important to recognize so that then those people don't then see themselves as a failure if they do have a date where they struggle with their relationship with food for example yeah for sure we always say that too we're like we don't expect you to never binge again um and actually when you binge when we're working together it allows us to like unpack it and see okay what happened what what happened before it how are you feeling what can we do next time um it's it's unrealistic to expect yourself to never even have that knee-jerk reaction again ever ever again and it's just about not being afraid of it anymore and knowing that you actually do have the power that food and binging doesn't control you anymore. But as you said, it's a process that takes patience and getting to that place takes time. Yeah. And if people need to put it into perspective, I think it can be helpful to recognize, okay, like how long have I been struggling with my relationship with food? It's not going to be an overnight process to address all of that and unpack all of that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you mentioned also using sort of meal plan template with some clients. Mm -hmm. Is it appropriate to use a meal plan approach to tackle binge eating? And if it is, if you do sometimes use that approach, where is it appropriate and where might it not be appropriate? Yeah. So again, person dependent, like that's why our coaching is person centered or sorry, I should speak here in like a more my therapeutic role sometimes <laughs> I use like language that I use when coaching but just to clear it up for people so as a coach I don't work with people who have a binge eating disorder um the ETPHD method has have introduced like dietetic support and therapeutic support so I work with people who have eating disorders in the therapy space now alongside the dietitian on our team um so I know from her point of view she would Yes, she'd use meal plans sometimes, um, person dependent, like I mentioned, and that that is why our coaching is person centered. Like I'm sure yours is as well. Some people will respond great to it, other people won't. You know, they'll feel too restricted. But at the start, like eating habits can be completely erratic. There could be no structure there, so people do need a lot of the time to have something to refer to. Like yes, I need to eat every three to four hours, and this is all with the intention of reducing binges. Um, that's kind of the goal of that and it doesn't really go any further um 
in time, we want them to come away from the meal plan, obviously, and to have freedom, choice, food variety. So short term, I would say it's appropriate for some people, for sure, and not for others. It just depends. I think what's after happening a little bit is meal plans were like laughed at and like, yeah. like it's like, oh, don't go to them. They just give you a meal plan. That's ridiculous. And yeah, it is ridiculous for other situations but it does serve its purpose is what I'm trying to say in some situations so just keep in mind it's short term and what we want to like make sure is that you do have unconditional permission to eat anyway that if you want something you can have it and that's a really key part of it um because it's that restriction and that scarcity that will really drive the urge like if you if you heard that your favorite food in the world was being like banned in an hour, you'd be like, oh, my God, I need to go buy it. I need to stock my fridge up with it. Um, and it's a natural response from us. So same applies for you. If you really, really think you can't have something because it's bad, you're going to want to 10 times more. And for context, if your dietitian was to give someone, say, a meal plan or an example meal plan, would that be just you know foods that they've put together or would they take into account the the client's preferences and would it involve variety because I know that there are some coaches who do give out meal plans and they will literally be the same foods every single day and they won't have much sort of freedom or flexibility with that is that appropriate or would yours have more variety in um yeah so when our clients come on board they give us like food diaries and what they like dislike what they can have what doesn't agree with them for example so no we don't do generic meal plans so it would be like I like to call it a template because that's a little bit more flexible um it would be what the person actually genuinely likes eating anyway so yeah that's a key part so thanks for bringing that up it wouldn't just be like you have to have salmon and rice now and then at two you have to have a way you know it's it's what they can actually tolerate and enjoy as well I think it's important to make that distinction just because some people like for example in the bodybuilding space which is my background there would have been certain clients who would probably go to a different prep coach having struggled with their relationship with food be put on a meal plan convince themselves that that meal plan has fixed all of their issues but in reality, it's just masking a lot of issues and they still have them there when they then come out of contest prep or whatever it is. Yeah, that's so common, isn't it? It's like, oh, the meal plan and prep saved my relationship with food. Um, and like it does temporarily you, when you have such a rigid control on it, it's like you you have no choice but to stay and remain in the same place. And the second those gates open, that's when we see like, no, I actually didn't save well, I can't speak for everyone here. Maybe some people it has, but that's when we see like the the binging start. It's the second that the plaster is taken off or the second there's any little um, scope to eat different foods. It's It can be really hard then to maintain. And even if from my perspective, like if someone does, say they follow a meal plan, I don't know, they've been bodybuilding for several years and they genuinely feel like that's, improve their relationship with food after they were struggling with something like binge eating beforehand what worries me is okay yes that might have happened for several years but what about when bodybuilding is removed completely like what about when they come away from the sport and they no longer have that extreme goal in the back of their mind yeah 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 that is definitely one um because it doesn't just go away like there's so many different reasons why 
binge eating can be an issue for people and a lot of the time it is like chronic dieting over a period of time and um you know real restriction over a period of time but that is literally just one one facet of it and there's usually a combination of different things so it might be like I mentioned earlier on like something from the past um unresolved trauma from the past or you know trying to uh numb emotions that you've been trying to avoid um or like unmet needs in your present life like a lack of connection isolation um that sort of thing so when it comes to bodybuilding then for some like you can tick all those boxes because it is a bit isolating for people um it can be um you do have that restrictive dieting and a lot of the time people who are attracted to bodybuilding as well have like the perfectionist tendencies and you know the all or nothing way of thinking sometimes not always but would you agree that you'd see like perfectionist tendencies in the sport yeah 100 percent amongst yeah. most people in reality yeah. because you have to, that in bodybuilding obviously you're striving to be as optimal as you possibly can and so therefore it naturally attracts perfectionists who have already been trying to do that <laughs> for, yeah. Yeah. for their entire it's life basically because they feel like okay that's something I'm good at and so yeah. they'll gravitate towards bodybuilding yeah and it's the perfect scenario like you get to be rigid you get to tick all your boxes you get to have major control over like what your body does how it changes what you eat um so it's like the perfect storm and then when like you come away from it and you're you're no longer following a meal plan or you're no longer like tracking meticulously you can still have those attitudes towards your eating and your life and it's really hard to cope with that like it's 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 really hard it's like how do I measure my worth how do I measure my success like I'm out of control that's the big one we hear is like I have no control anymore and then like the binges come a lot of the time when you do miss a beat or you do miss a step and you do eat something that you didn't deem as appropriate or whatever and the 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 gates open then for like right well we might as well just keep going because we've screwed it anyway and I'm useless and I'm worthless um not that that's funny but it's just I'm trying to you know say how it is it can be for people yeah I also I think even aside from binge eating bodybuilding sort of almost replicates a very similar pattern or scenario that someone who maybe had something like anorexia would participate in and that can be quite worrying because I think it could very easily be a way for someone to still be having those issues with food say someone had anorexia and they then got into bodybuilding and claimed that they were they were fine they were fixed it would be very easy for them to sort of engage in the disordered eating habits that they have always had but Mm. give it a name and almost make it acceptable because it's a sport yeah for sure it's just I suppose it's just um more acceptable in that environment and it's normalized and it's glorified actually as well and like this isn't bashing bodybuilding at all like I actually think for some people it's given them it's changed their lives for the better um but like you mentioned it does attract people who who have had eating disorders or who are at risk of eating disorders and like then they're in this place where um body preoccupation like monitoring every day weighing every day progress photos is normal whereas if they weren't doing bodybuilding 
it would be deemed as an unhealthy behavior. So that's one of the criteria for an eating disorder is like intense hyper focus on your body weight and shape. But then in the bodybuilding world, you have to be, you have to do that because you're trying to, you're trying to make all these changes and all this progress and then you're yeah. stepping on stage for just that. So, um, yeah, it's just keep, keep the awareness there and to identify like, is this, still aligning with you is it still serving you is it is it actually something that you want to sacrifice yeah and because of the similarities in terms of how at the end of the day right a contest prep it it, if you looked at it it is very disordered in the way that someone has to behave and eat Mm -hmm. um but it's it's supposed to be temporary in terms of when someone then transitions away or transitions into the improvement season if all is well and good technically they shouldn't continue those behaviors Mm -hmm. um but I think it's very problematic for anyone who's struggling with their relationship with food to a large extent to to follow and engage in too much bodybuilding content because of how similar the two would look um so that is something that like I don't know what your thoughts are, but I would say if someone is struggling with their relationship with food, bodybuilding content is probably not going to be beneficial to engage in because of the similarities. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you're so right. Yeah. And again, like it's attractive for people who are trying to be more disciplined and to be more motivated and stuff, because let's face it, like if you're prepping, you are the most disciplined you've ever been. You're the most motivated you've probably ever been in that time, you know, most yeah. of the time. Anyway. So then like really often we'll have general population clients who are struggling, who compare their behaviors to prepping behaviors and they'll feel bad about the way they're acting because so-and-so like hasn't had a social meal in so long. And, you know, they're almost willing to do that, to look the same as that person, um, which brings a whole host of like complications and stuff with mental health, physical health, overall relationship with your food and body. So it's, yeah, going back to that point about social media, like filtering your feed. And if you notice a physical reaction in you, just mute, at least for that time being. Yeah, brilliant. And I think there are certain tools like tracking your food that can be really problematic for some individuals, but actually for other people, they could actually be helpful why is that that they can be helpful in some scenarios but really unhelpful in others is it down to someone's like personality type or their history yeah exactly that I would say their history their history of dieting their personality type so if you're someone who gets completely obsessed with numbers data um very much thinks in the black and white way then tracking you can thrive there and you can, you know, absolutely love it. But there's a difference between like thriving and loving it and then not being able to not have it. And, you know, I think I think, to be honest, the way we identify it is if you can't do without it, then there's an issue. Yeah. You know, if you can't function and you can't feel at peace without it, then there's something not quite right and you need to look at it. So, yeah, exactly what you said. History of dieting. Um like we wouldn't encourage people who've had an eating disorder in the past to track. And if they did, it would be, you know, making sure that you do have time away from it, that you have flexibility and variety in there. Um, and yeah, that black and white way of thinking, like if you're someone who goes over a couple of grams and you find it that really tough to deal with, 
then tracking isn't right for you, especially long term. Um, so yeah, like definitely isn't found, like definitely isn't found across the board. Like I have clients who track, um, especially those who like need more awareness around what they're eating or they might not know what's in certain foods or they need to like improve increase their protein and stuff. So you probably do the same. Um, it's just to notice when there's red flags. And the biggest one is when you can't do it out. It's like for the for the people who it might actually be helpful for. I think it can be helpful in the scenario that someone say they have quite rigid food rules in terms of what foods they they can and can't eat, but that's due to misinformation. It's not due to like disordered eating traits. It's actually just because they've read false information on social media. They've been told that they need to cut out carbs, for example, to lose body fat. If you give that person tracking as a tool and they realize, oh my God, like I can actually eat bread and still progress towards my fat loss goals. That might actually be helpful for that person, but yeah. it's it's the people obviously that are the other end of the spectrum that are very meticulous with everything that it could be problematic for. Yeah, yeah, you're right. And it actually, in some cases, can help improve someone's relationship with food. Like I can even remember myself at the start being like, oh, I can have like something that's 80 calories, like that's quote unquote healthy, but I can't have the same calories in a chocolate bar because that's bad. And like tracking can help with understanding that some more but it's when the all or nothing mindset comes in and it's like you no longer know if you're full or you're not or you're full or you're hungry you no longer listen to what your body's telling you you've no real concept of internal cues um and then removing the tracking is is a bit of a journey then as well isn't it it's like a process that requires patience yeah, hundred percent. Because I remember when I actually first started tracking. God, it must have been like twenty fourteen or something. Um, but I remember being like, "Oh my god, like I can actually eat chocolate and still progress towards my goals. Like it's great, and it actually helps me in those circumstances." And I fully believe that a large part of why I've never really struggled with my relationship with food is because of the introduction I had to bodybuilding in that it was very evidence-based it was very much like you know tracking but flexibly I was allowed there was no foods off limits and things like that um and I think that was really helpful for me but I can see how it could be really problematic for other people yeah especially with binge eating because sticking to a certain calorie range is just it really adds adds fuel to the fire in that that restriction feeling is is so it's so there because you're like, well, I can't go over this number. And if I do, I've absolutely ruined it. And then that whole guilt and shame comes and, you know, I've blown it again. I'm never going to achieve this anyway, um, which leads to loads of other emotions that can cause a binge then as well. Yeah, 100%. And um, I know we've spoken briefly about the importance of if you're working to improve your relationship with food, the importance of focusing on that rather than body composition related goals. Is there ever a scenario where it might be helpful or it would be doable to pursue fat loss whilst improving your relationship with food? Um, whilst improving your relationship with food, I would say yes. Like you can do you can do both. I would say if it, when it comes to binge eating, binge eating disorder, fat loss can't be the priority at that time. Yeah. I think, again, press independent. So tread carefully. If you are dieting while also trying to improve your relationship with food, like making sure you do have flexibility in there, you have food variety, 
you know, if you're tracking, you have time away from tracking, um, things like that. But definitely when it comes to binge eating, you can't have it as a priority. It's kind of a case of like, you can't run before you walk. And even if you were to focus on fat loss without solving the binge eating side of it, like you're never really going to maintain the results that you get anyway. So we say like, do take the aesthetic goals aside temporarily and you're indirectly working on body composition goals that you have anyway, because you'll be able to maintain them when it does come around. Yeah, I think that's really important for people to recognize as well in that if they just if they're struggling with their relationship with food, but they're just continuing to pursue fat loss, they're actually hindering their progress over the long term and they're not going to achieve long term success with their body composition related goals until they address their relationship with food first. Yeah, for sure. And it's like also your motive probably to change your body at that point is I I dislike my body. I hate it. I want to hate this into change. So in while you are really improving your relationship with food, we also want you to improve your relationship with your body because they come hand in hand. So by the time you get to that place, you're like, okay, I actually want to do this because I respect my body. I appreciate it. And I want it to feel as good as it can feel. So doing the fat loss from a more compassionate place rather than I can't, you know, I hate how I look type thing. Um, Yeah. And so if someone is listening to this and they're currently struggling with binge eating, what would your advice be to them in terms of the first steps that they should take to help them improve their relationship with food? I would say... Okay, I'm going to presume that if you're binge eating, that you are, you've been dieting for a long time. So number one, ditch the dieting and start regular eating. So bringing in a regular eating routine where you eat every three to four hours um, and you have some structure there. So no matter what happens, if you have a binge, you go back to that. So we're not falling into the binge restrict cycle again. So I'm giving Rosalind's two cents on it here, but even if I had a client who I was coaching, who was struggling with regular overeating or binge eating, who who didn't have a disorder, this is what I'd be doing with them as well. Um, And then I would remind yourself that just because it's a food centered problem, doesn't mean that the solution is always in the food. So really, really often we're seeking something out by overeating or binge eating. Maybe it's to fill a void, numb, distract from something. So getting really honest with yourself okay what's going on here how do I feel before I binge um what do I want more of in my life so even going back to like um Maslow's hierarchy of needs you'll be aware of that but if anyone isn't just google it it shows kind of like all our needs as a human we don't have just one we have I think there's five in the pyramid um and they range from like emotional social psychological um from our basic to our more like needs of fulfillment in our jobs and stuff so there can be loads of different factors so just get curious about that the other thing I would say is slow down slow down and bring in mindfulness into your life so like I love the model Gilbert's model of emotional systems where it's like your drive threat and soothe and nowadays like we tend to spend so much time in the drive and threat and not enough in the soothe so especially like you know the hustle culture grind harder type stuff and the drive is where most of us will sit like that productivity you know must get my stuff done or else I'm not good enough type stuff achieve 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 and the soothing is neglected so when we reach our threshold we inevitably reach our threshold we'll reach for the nearest soothing which is often food and it does soothe in that moment so we want to 
make sure that we're going between them all, that we do have our productive days and our busy days, but we also have our soothing. Um, so more intentional soothing is, do you know what? I would say nearly the biggest thing we see is like people have no idea how to soothe themselves and no idea how to regulate themselves. So getting, you know, getting curious and creative with what you can do to soothe yourself on a daily basis, not just when you feel like you're ready to blow. That was fantastic advice. And it's been such a pleasure to have you today, Becca. Thank you so much. Have you got anything that you would like to add at all? Um, no, just thank you for having me. And if anyone's listening to this and they feel really lost and they don't know where to go, please don't be afraid to message me. If, you know, the support you're looking for isn't what we offer, then I'll guide you in the right way. Um, but just don't do this alone because there's so much shame and guilt. Now, thankfully, we're moving away from the shame and guilt and it's more talked about. But we must remember that like binge eating disorder was only recognized as a independent disorder, we'll say. So like there was anorexia, bulimia, etc. But binge eating didn't come into the equation until 2013. So that's really like not that long ago. Um, so we're still building the awareness around it and people are talking about it more. But if you're still stuck there and you're like, nobody knows, I'm so embarrassed, please, you don't have to do this alone. Yeah. I love that. And for anyone listening, I'll put Becca's details in the description down below. So if you want to reach out to her, just head there. Thank you so much for listening as always. It's been an absolute pleasure and I will see you in the next. See you soon.